In each episode, we talk about fine-tuning your life, your team, or your business. But at the heart of any company's performance is the technology. It's the website when your customers go online to schedule a plumber for emergency home repairs. It's the behind-the-scenes system that schedules and tracks your company's deliveries to key suppliers. Well, Architect's team of experts helps companies like yours transform and succeed using the power of modern software. In fact, Microsoft just gave them a prestigious Global Partner of the Year award, and that says something. Reach out to them at architect.ca to hear what they've built for companies just like yours. That's A R C H I T E C H.ca. Are you looking to fine tune? Whether for your business, your job, your team, or yourself, in each episode, we will be discussing different ideas and opinions using real-world examples to help you see opportunities, innovate, and succeed. Hi, it's Corby Fine, and welcome to Fine Tune. So I used to work at a big telecommunications company in Canada, and there was a period of time where we were really hot on trying to figure out how to get into this daily deals space. Everybody remembers when Groupon launched, there was this massive onslaught. And I have an amazing story about, about Groupon, actually, when I cold called the CEO, Andrew Mason, got on a plane, flew to Chicago, got a tour of the building, met the call center agents who had local dialect and accents so that people calling to buy product would feel like they were being serviced by people next door to them. It was an amazing operation. It ended with, we want to bring you to Canada. And the answer I got was, we're coming anyway. And six weeks later, Toronto and Vancouver launched. And it was an amazing opportunity for me to do a whole lot of things. And one of those things was start to look at the market and see who was out there, where there are other opportunities to buy companies, to partner with companies, to launch companies. And I met this guy and he's on my podcast today. I can't even think of how many years later, Gassan Halazon, who really is a, I'll say a 10-year serial entrepreneur who in the middle of a pandemic has taken all of his knowledge, all of his experiences, all of the things he's done so successfully. And as the founder and CEO of Emerge Commerce, he went public. Like, I don't even know how to order dinner in the pandemic. I don't know how to get out of my house and make sure that my kids are you know, keeping themselves busy and healthy and sadly somewhat sane. And here's a gentleman who took a company public in the middle of it. So Gassan, welcome to the podcast today. Corby, thank you so much for having me. I'm a fan. I'm glad. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about, you know, briefly about you and, and maybe give everybody the story on, on the business because it's, uh, it's an amazing story. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to. So as you said, Corby, I've been in, in the e-commerce game for about a decade plus. Hard to believe. It was actually early 2010 when, when you guys approached us and we started talking back then. Really, we've been through all sorts of trials and tribulations. As an entrepreneur myself, you know, sort of really, I, I call it a PhD in uh, scaling businesses, going through restructurings, acquiring uh, cleaning up, integrating, you name it, and we've been through it probably multiple times by now. 
Um, and so really sort of my foray into e-commerce uh, launched on the back of what you mentioned, which was this this sort of phenomena that was uh, uh, daily deals and, and Groupon and what they called at the time sort of the early beginnings of uh, social commerce, um, right around the time that other companies like Guilt Group and uh, you might recall Fab and One Kings Lane, that was that sort of cohort of next gen e-commerce companies coming in with a bit more swagger, coming in with a bit more uh, you know, sort of group and gaming mechanics to them. And and uh, and so that's when I uh, quit my uh, uh, banking job in New York. I was with Citigroup on Wall Street, hated my job, was probably uh, uh, terrible at it anyway, uh, but moved to Toronto and partnered with a couple of guys that I met on a blog. And, uh, and we launched what at the time was Canada's first and ultimately largest independent uh, uh, daily deals uh, business. And we, we had no business you know, kind of getting to those levels, frankly. I mean, we started off, we'd never launched a business in our lives. We'd never raised money. Uh, we, we'd never really competed with giants like we ended up having to. Um, but fast forward, you know, just basically based on pure grit and heart and, 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 and tenacity, we got it to a place where, you know, three, four years later, we were looking at about 120 employees across the country. Uh, uh, we were competing neck and neck with Groupon for a market leadership uh, position in Canada. Um, and really, as we found out uh, soon after, you know, sort of just being the largest in Canada on its own wasn't really probably going to get us the exit that we envisioned or that our investors by then, big institutional and venture capital investors, insight venture partners out of New York, Georgian partners, all really fantastic uh, uh, venture capital firms, but just really with different priorities, you know. Our little $100 million uh, play was not all that interesting in the larger scheme of things and the way they viewed the world. They were looking for the next Pinterest or the next Snapchat. And so um, and so we ended up having to restructure that business and moving aside. And that's really when Emerge uh, 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 kind of came together as sort of a second coming to do this the right way, to do this the better way. So e-commerce, your entire business model and much of your decade has been focused on the evolution of e-commerce. I often think of an organization that most people don't associate with e-commerce. I think about Apple and I think back to that first iPod and that first 99 cent transaction that got someone to put your credit card into this online form and feel comfortable buying something that didn't even physically exist. I actually think a hundred years from now, we're going to look back and say, what was Apple's biggest contribution? It might've been training people that it's okay and safe to buy things online. Now you've put a ton of effort and energy into building this e-commerce. Well, maybe it's a mini empire, whatever we want to call it right now. But is this is this right now e-commerce's big moment? Is is this you know post-COVID when we get their world the beginning of of a permanent shift in consumer behavior? I'd love to get you know your insights into what is going on with regards to customers, how they buy, how they shop, how they research. Is this now the beginning of the end of traditional commerce? Well, let's start with the basic fact that the last couple of uh, quarters, and this is no secret, it's been wildly reported, that you know the last two to three quarters, uh, we've seen more growth in e-commerce than we had in the past 10 years combined. And that is a, just a staggering stat. We're from the school of thought that this is very much e-commerce is a big moment on the main stage and globally in a way that uh, we'd never anticipated or seen. I've heard some of your recent podcast guests 
which I, I really enjoyed on. And they, they all said, look, from our perspective, this was accelerating where we thought we would be in two to three years in one hit. And, you know, frankly, the media and journalists tend to bucket bucket it all in in sort of together. But the reality is different e-commerce categories have obviously fared quite differently and grown quite differently. So from our perspective, we do think there's a seismic shift in consumer mindset. That's not to say retail is done, although some aspects of retail are probably increasingly diminished and on an ongoing basis. But we do really believe that there are things that people never thought they would buy online, that they just tried tried it out. And in certain cases, it was ma magical or seamless or at least better than what it was. And it's, it's basically here to stay. Yeah, I've seen some charts that talk about those category differentiations. And some are quite obvious given the current situation, medical devices, groceries, you know, the sort of staples and things that you need. What are you seeing in terms of maybe the not so obvious? Are there any categories that are winning for you within your businesses? Yeah, and I just want to add one more point there uh, and tie it back, you know, just in terms of the sheer size of what we're talking about, you know, in terms of the e-commerce opportunity, right? There's about $25 trillion worth of retail out there in, in the U.S. alone. And, you know, about $4 trillion of that is e-commerce right now. And that's at the best it's ever been. And as you look outwards, whether you go as far as China, certain places within Southeast Asia, there are pockets, you know, South Korea is, is well known for very high penetration, it's on 20, 25% penetration. The U.S. and even to a lesser extent, Canada have been quite behind. The, the U.S. has been at the 10% or so clip. They're saying it's approaching 15 now. Canada was even less. It was 4 or 5%, partly because of the logistics and the way the land was spaced out. And that's really actually why South Korea is such a uh, strong penetration. It helps with the logistics and uh, ultimately was was a big driver of e-commerce being at, a, at such a high level. So I think we look at all of that and we say there are effectively trillions and trillions of dollars uh, coming online from the offline space over the next five to 10 years, which really means there are going to be tens, if not hundreds of multi-billion dollar e-commerce players created. So we think that's a fascinating opportunity. In terms of the categories, just to go back to your point, from our perspective, we're a diversified portfolio of e-commerce assets and brands. So we sit in the middle of a lot of action. We have 2 million members. We connected with about 12,000 merchants across North America. When we look at these categories, I think one thing that did stick out was groceries. Groceries was one of those things that most people felt like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I like to use the analogy that if you normally go to one of your favorite restaurants or you order the same meal every time, you tend not to change it if it's good enough uh, and you don't want to venture out into trying something. new. And then one day you go to the restaurant and they say, well, that meal, we don't, we no longer do it. So you have no choice. You basically have to pick something new for the first time. And that's when you stumble on something better. Now, it's ironic that I'm using the restaurant as an example in the middle of COVID. But really what my point is here is, you know, essentially groceries was the type of thing where people were used to doing it the way they did for years. And on comes the situation where you just can't do it anymore in the same way. You cannot go into the store as you wanted to, or you're going to have to sit with much longer lines. So you try something online and it actually magically works. And then you say, you know what? It saves me time. It's safer. It's cleaner. It comes to my door for a few more dollars for delivery. I, I'm going to stick to this. And I truly believe a lot of the people will. So when you say that, where my mind goes is this notion of 
a bit of a bifurcation. You've got the large, massive organizations. When you talk about four trillion, you know, obviously you're talking about Amazon having a big chunk of that. You've got your large grocery chains who can invest in the technology to do things like click and collect. You know, even having had Lauren Steinberg from Loblaw on my podcast talking about this massive transformation in their organization. But the flip side is you've also got, as you said, the restaurant, the small business, and these marketplaces and ecosystems that are enabling them to go online and have you know new capabilities, including organizations like Shopify. Where do you see, maybe we'll call it the Shopify effect, this, this small business move to online? Is, is that the thing or is this going to be a large organization, those that can afford to spend the money on the technology survive and everybody else is screwed? Yeah, I think we tend to, again, sort of in the media, there's always, you know, who's going to kind of prevail. But the point of this stat that I shared, you know, sort of the staggering amounts of dollars, the trillions of dollars moving online, is that this space is actually big enough to support multiple, and as I say, hundreds, if not even thousands of uh, groups that build really scalable products. In the end, it comes down to customer experience. So I do think, of course, for the giant companies that move fast enough, and there aren't many, that you know, don't forget where they came from. Don't forget to focus on the customer. They stand obviously at disproportionate gain and chance. For example, I look at Walmart. I think they're doing a good job pushing e-commerce. They're approaching it with an M&A mentality. They're bringing in folks that can steer the ship in the right direction. So I do see those types of moves as almost a must at this point uh, to compete at the highest level. But I think what you said about Shopify has truly been groundbreaking, right? What, what Shopify stands for sort of giving the little guy a fighting chance, giving them the platform, giving them the room to go out there and do it. I mean, we're seeing tremendous, you know, on the M&A side where we're looking to acquire these sorts of companies, we are seeing tons of bootstrapped, founder-owned and operated companies that are agile, that are community-centric, really focused, doing well, doing good. And it's very refreshing. It's actually, you know, maybe a, a benefactor of Shopify focusing on its own growth, but it's really created this fantastic community. The Shopify phenomenon is really interesting. Have you seen ancillary services, agencies, third parties? Like what's going on in the side of the business where, you know, I'm a small business owner, I'm a restaurant owner, I'm a retailer, I'm an accountant, whatever I am. I've never done this before. I don't know how to market online. I don't know how to sell online. Like who's helping them? Because there's technology and infrastructure, but what else are you seeing in terms of other service providers? And is there anything else interesting going on in market to help these people take advantage of this groundswell? There's definitely this trend of agencies uh, popping up to handhold and to get you on there um, in, in a way that not only helps you just get online, but actually start making use of it. Like, it's one thing to be able to be online, but it's another thing to start managing your store the right way. When you start thinking of things like SEO, when you think of paid advertising, you know, monetizing your data in the background. These are things that most small business owners don't have time for. So I think Shopify actually obviously gives you the starting point and does so in such a brilliant way and a seamless way. But there are these agencies and groups popping off to really kind of handhold or white glove uh, uh, merchants through the process. I think that's one theme. I think the other theme from our lens as an acquirer and operator of digital assets is we're starting to see groups form that actually consolidate Shopify apps, Amazon stores. And I think that's one of the things that I look at as a fantastic enabler of the overall ecosystem. A lot of times investors might say, um, well, how do you compete with 
Amazon or Shopify, and and how do you, you know, how do you possibly even compete? And and from our perspective, the answer is well, we don't. We we we're excited about their growth. The more Shopify founders there are out there, the more bootstrap companies building on Shopify, the more opportunity for us to go and acquire these assets. Likewise, with Amazon FBA stores, you know there are themes now around consolidating some of those really nice little bootstrap businesses. Everyone almost knows someone at this point that runs a little ship as a lifestyle business, and these are great acquisition opportunities. Yeah, so let's take that and flip over to your business for a second. So two interesting things you talked about. One is maybe the difficulty and challenge in getting a e-commerce infrastructure business up from scratch and conversely your approach which is well maybe we should just be a roll-up an acquirer integrate businesses and create synergies so when you think about that what are the kinds of companies you are looking for right now and why was this M&A growth strategy the right strategy for you for this time yeah, well, as, as I mentioned, Emerge is really a second coming of sorts because it comes from my and others' first-hand experience in having to deal with the challenges of scaling an e-commerce company that is venture-backed, that has the pressures of raising the big capital, focusing on growth at all costs, and, and sort of running as fast as you could. And so, you know, seeing those challenges from my perspective as a first-time founder in my previous venture really opened my eyes to what what was wrong with that model we felt like it was a broken model you know this idea that that you know that profits didn't matter today which is which is quite common in silicon valley and in 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 the tech world in general the idea is you know scale really become number one at something and then good things happen and then you reverse engineer profitability so that's really you know we were victims of that model frankly we outlasted you probably know this back in the day there was 120 Plus deal sites, we were literally the last one standing, sort of largest independent player. And, and that didn't matter because if the trends turn, and in, in that case they did, the VCs were interested in other spaces, no more looking to fund uh, us and, and our, our plans, you know, we, we fell in no man's land. So for us with Emerge, we came together with this idea that, you know what, let's focus on this underserved small to medium-sized e-commerce space where you have two types of companies that we go after and we acquire. On the one end, it's de-stressed assets where businesses have you know, great, great merchant relationships, incredible customer databases, some proprietary technology that we can leverage, but really crappy balance sheets. And so from our perspective, the idea was that we would pick these assets up for pennies on the dollar and plug them into our ecosystem very cost effectively. That was sort of the earlier sort of phase one of Emerge as we picked up legacy deal sites that we were around. But more recently and where we see this headed is focused on what we call or what we characterize as niche market leaders with a track record of growth and profitability. And so that now sheds light on the bootstrap founder driven companies that whether on Shopify or otherwise really sort of focus uh, running lean and mean, been scaling up for multiple years, have you know really recognizable brands in their respective niches, tight teams, clean cap tables, no debt. None of these things for us matter because it simplifies the type of deal and the type of founder we're looking to align with. And our philosophy is to acquire these businesses, have them join the network, but continue on. We're not here to change the brand. We're not here to change the team 
or what's made it special, but we're also here to add certain certain value in a way that we think we can do better than most. So you talk about the network and something earlier, you talked about one of the big differentiators and maybe wins is around customer experience. So when an organization is brought into your fold, when you are the acquirer, what are the things that you are enabling them with? What are those shared synergies that Emerge offers versus what do you kind of leave to to the original founders or the operators to say, you know what, that was your secret sauce. You keep that. But here's the real benefit of being part of this family and ecosystem. Great question. I'll start with what we let them continue to do, which is run their respective domain expertise and niche, right? If we go by, you know, for example, we acquired Underpar, which was a $30 million sales business last year, joined this pretty much a one-year anniversary uh, this week. That's a business that, that has a, a veteran team in golf. They know the golf merchants intimately well. They know how to price it. They know how to merchandise it. Uh, so we want them to really own the golf experience online and, and they continue to do so. And we're seeing incredible trends. Golf, by the way, being a very fortunate, uh, really what they're calling it the envy of all experiences during COVID because everybody is off to, uh, to, to figure out uh, whether they can play golf. And so from our perspective, I think largely our playbook is where we come in is in addition to, and I must say, it starts with acquiring the right company in the right niche. So that's part of it. We can't just say, you know, it's after the acquisition. You got to pick the right acquisitions. That's almost half the story. To pick something in the right niche that comes with the right mentality, right stickiness, etc. But from from the point they join us, we have a vendor software solution toolkit, if you will, almost a dozen different vendor solutions from email ascending to fraud prevention to hosting and analytics and data management. All of this stuff, you don't need every little e-commerce company focused on. We basically consolidate all of that at best-in-class pricing. We save them the time and the money so that they can focus on their respective domain. That's what internally we, we view as very boring but very effective savings that can come in within a couple of quarters and be applied. But the other side of it is what we call accelerate. So obviously we acquire, we integrate, and then we accelerate. And that's really the part where... You're sitting as a new member of the Emerge family or network of brands. You now have access to 2 million plus members that are subscribed to our various services. Now, that doesn't mean we go out spamming and blasting all of our brands with all the emails, but it does mean that there are very specific opportunities that really work well for us. So, for example, if we're partnered with Amex, which we have been, and they're promoting a card on Wagjag, one of our properties that we acquired from Torstar a while back, now with Underpar, you know, that's something that really intrigues Amex because it's a higher end audience. It's older male skewed demographics, so perfect for certain cards that they're marketing and, and it works very, very well. Today, for example, we had Sirius XM on Underpar, also previously one of our other brand clients. So that's one side of it, which is the advertising and connecting these brands with certain niche demographics. The other side is cross-selling, you know, so if it's, if it's Father's Day, then maybe the Wagjag mom gifts the father on underpar with a golf voucher or golf equipment on just golf stuff one of our goods for golf uh, equipment portals so there's a lot of that back and forth but then there's also the data the power of sitting in the middle of all of that data to drive how we merchandise how we send emails how we personalize these are all themes that we continue to improve every day on yeah what's really interesting is when you start to talk about data monetization advertising these are a lot of things that often 
someone starting an e-commerce business doesn't really think about, right? They think about products in people's hands, <laughs> repeat, and cross-sell, right. upsell. But you're actually bringing new revenue streams, which as a network effect is really, really interesting as well. Well said, Corby. And, and we have to come to this conclusion because our previous foray in e-commerce or sort of our, our launch into the space, we realized it's a relatively low margin business. It's highly competitive. And you needed to think through what was most valuable. In this case, the, the, the consumer behavior, the data you're sitting on, uh, all these interactions while you're connecting merchants and customers, there's got to be ways to monetize and to help both parties win beyond just the shopping cart, as we call it. And when you're a bootstrap company, you don't have time to think about that or to hire for that or to strike those partnerships. But in our case, you know, we're doing this for everyone in the network. So the minute a company joins, we figure out, are we layering on this advertising partnership? Are we layering on this data opportunity? Uh, are we monetizing via cross-selling? So we have all this optionality that only grows with every added acquisition. What are those hot areas, those verticals? Like, what's sexy? Where am I throwing my dollar down? I need to invest and make some money here. Like, what's hot? Yeah, well... Besides the merge going public shortly on the TSXV, I think there's ample opportunity to really look at niches, but also technologies powering verticals. Now, I can't name some of the hottest companies that I think are going to do very well for the simple reason that we're about to buy some of these. And, and I don't want to disclose uh, our acquisition pipeline. We think there's I some tried. Really I tried. Come on. You sure, you sure did. But look, like I think sometimes people say, well, going back to Shopify, because we have to give them the respect and the admiration uh, that, that they're very much due. And people say, is it too expensive? You know, it's, it's past 100 billion. And I tend to look at this from a Canadian lens and say, you know what? Um, you know, I see a day where Shopify uh, is half of Amazon's market cap. And I see a day potentially where if there were anyone to compete with Amazon, which you know, they normally say when you want to go after the, the, the Facebook killer or the Amazon killer, it's not going to look nothing like it. And I'm not saying Shopify is going to kill Amazon, but I am saying that Shopify is on a trajectory to really do very special things, even beyond what people can probably comprehend right now. And I want to be on the record saying right now, when we're at 100 billion, that it is still a, a relatively early days. And I think Shopify is going to at least be half Amazon's market cap over the next five years. So that's my little clip. I've... Uh... I've personally tried to build a couple of stores, buy some ads, just to see, you know, how effective and efficient it is. It it is scarily easy to mm -hmm. to set up shop and sell stuff. And when I got my first order from a drop shipping little endeavor that I tried from a gentleman in Venice, California, I put it aside. I shut it down. And yeah. and I spent a few hundred bucks just to learn. And and I think any entrepreneur out there, anyone with a traditional business needs to just understand the ecosystem that their competitors are playing with and make a decision whether it's for them or not. You, you say it, you say it best. Like I, I really, like I'm a, this is a whole new, a whole different topic, but the, the concept of education, like I do think everyone should learn how to do that as an exercise. Shouldn't that be taught in school or university or however that ends up unfolding too. Right. You know, just kind of doing, going through those motions, I think is so valuable. And frankly, I'll say this, what we see is a lot of these little stores that are end up being nice sort of side or lifestyle businesses. But I do think that where a lot of these uh, groups are lacking is in structure. And a bit of structure is always good. You don't want too much structure too early. 
But, you know, keeping your books in order, we often tell, we're probably one of the biggest promoters of, of uh, little companies getting their audits or their reviews. You know, getting your books in order, making sure you separate your expenses, your personal expenses, all of that. These basics, I mean, help you really ultimately market and sell your business. So I think they're quite lacking. But you know what? The tougher part's been solved. Getting online, starting a business and moving it forward. I think that's now set. So it's now the structure is easy to add in. So education. Great, great pivot to the last part of the conversation that I want to get from you. You just did something which many people have not done, which is, first of all, go public. Second of all, do it in an incredibly virtual and locked down world. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that experience, the process, and maybe for anyone else who's you know looking at capital raise and sort of in different stages of their evolution, like what are a couple of those tips that really helped you succeed in this last period? Well, first of all, you know, I think earlier this year, we we did still have in our mind that this was still a, a, a building block year and we didn't have any plans to go public just yet. But then the storm hit, you know, the COVID storm hit and, you know, we were faced with two options like everyone else. We were either going to figure out how to capitalize on it or we're just going to sit with our, you know, heads down and just try to, to, to weather the storm. And so from our perspective, we felt like what we were seeing in the data in terms of these categories uh, growing at record pace combined with this mindset that e-commerce was going through this big moment, we felt like there was a small window of opportunity to capitalize on this trend and on the numbers that we were seeing to go out and complete an entirely virtual roadshow. I think there's been a lot of financing since then. I think we were one of the first to do it in April, uh, May, uh, over spring. We raised $10 million plus entirely virtually, really from investors we'd never seen before or met. So straight through Zoom and, and conference calls. You know, from our perspective, we had started to build a really exciting pipeline of acquisition opportunities, coupled with our own growth. We had triple digit growth through various quarters this year. Um, and so from our perspective, we put two and two and said, you know what, there's a moment in time that we can capitalize on. It sounds like investors are excited for what, what seemed to be lacking in, in Canadian capital markets. Really, ultimately, we stood for and, and continue to stand for a consumer diversified, high growth, sustainably built e-commerce business or portfolio, which we don't see anything else here in Canada. I think, again, I think, you know, Shopify is Shopify, but I think we, we wanted to stand for that. And I think the market's been very receptive to that idea. And so we're very excited not to head out and, uh, and start trading. So for the consumer, you've essentially created an ecosystem of benefit, both in terms of product availability and now even, you know, more relevant advertising and, and helping them achieve purchase and shopping experiences. But talk about the one other thing that you and I had a quick chat about the other day, which was the opportunity that you've now created by going public and creating this ecosystem for the small businesses out there, right? We don't often think about wow, one company going public or raising capital can actually benefit a whole slew of organizations downstream. So what's that look like? You know, we work, as I say, we work with about 12,000 plus merchants and growing. We're actually quite selective. I mean, we don't aim to be at a million merchants anytime soon. We're really curated and focused on uh, merchants that I think resonate with our consumers, but also are a good fit for our platform and our, and our advertising programs. So there is that ripple effect where, you know, we are helping uh, companies really sort of uh, through these tough times, even though that's not our, admittedly, not our first or priority, of course. But, you know, for example, we just launched berightback.ca, 
which is a, a dedicated portal for staycations and nearby trips and, and sort of weekend getaways. And we're really helping these little hotels, bed and breakfast and wineries, bring people through the door, improve cash flow during such a tough time. So it is really fantastic from that perspective. And of course, for consumers, helping them not only shop and explore, but ultimately save during tough times is is a pretty important aspect to what we do as well. So we're happy to kind of empower both sides during these difficult times. So last question, other than your own brands, your own ecosystem, when you think about truly great e-com customer experience, if you're going to go buy something online and say, wow, that was a 10 out of 10, who's doing it well? You know what? Um, as I said before, I'm loving the action we're seeing from the little guy and a lot of these smaller community-driven businesses and, and the names that are popping in my head are literally the names on our pipeline acquisition list right now. And you got to give us something. Um, I think, you know what? I loved what you said about Apple. It resonates with me a lot. And I think there's a lot of Apple and Tesla inspired branding and customer experience out there that really sort of inspires us. I, I am actually a big fan of Airbnb. I think, although they're not your traditional e-commerce, but nor are we, we're not just products, you know, we're experiences and virtual, et cetera. Um, I think what I like about Airbnb is their honesty comes across, their transparency. You know, with all this, this class of unicorns and big IPOs on the horizon, I felt like all along, and maybe this is more marketing and PR, and maybe it's, it is the CEO, because I think Brian's done a, an incredible job with messaging, honestly, even during hard times, uh, always working towards you know bridging gaps uh, with consumers and, and with communicating the right message and treating employees the right way. So for that reason, I think I'm, I'm very inspired by them. Personally, I have to say, I use uh, Uber and Uber Eats daily. I don't know why I stuck with them. I don't know. Maybe I started with them. I did through all sorts of credits at me. <laughs> well, and then that's another case study one day. I mean, did they have to give that many credits? But maybe it worked because I'm here. I'm here and I'm not about to change. Not because it's, I think, rightly of them or not. I, I just think it's just so seamless that I press a couple of buttons every day and they get me my, my lunch and my dinner and my car and all of that right so so i think that's maybe not a popular choice or maybe a, a boring choice but it, it, it certainly works really well for me well no but it leads me to expect to see an education business on how to cook and a cooking supplies business in your ecosystem soon so you can get <laughs> off of the home delivery uh, uh crack to be blunt <laughs> you know what we're, we're uh, i'll just say it's in the works it's all in the works nothing's off the table and uh Hopefully, we'll have some food on the table very soon. Well, uh, Ghassan, thank you so much for being with me today. It's a, it's a decade-long relationship that you and I have had uh, on and off over the years and kind of getting back in touch and, and catching up. I have uh, to say it, though, if you give yeah. me 30 seconds, I have to say it. Please. You started the show off with this, and you remember with, when you were with Rogers back in the day, you guys offered us what at the time was a, a very meaningful buyout. And, um, you know, we had the chance to take it. And a lot of times I'm asked, you know, should we have, or again, we've went, gone through all sorts of trials and tribulations to get here. The reality is I'm going to surprise you and say, yeah, I think we should have back then. Because I think every founder, <laughs> when you're young and you start your first venture, if you happen to be sexy, even if it's for 30 minutes and someone gives you an outrageous offer for what you were, you should take it. You're still young. You won't regret it. 
take it. You, you still have many years ahead of you to go out. There are a lot of great ideas. You'll always feel great. And that was, a, that was a regret of mine. Of course, given that we are here now and we're excited about where we're going, I certainly think that there's no regrets, so to speak, but I would also encourage young founders not to be so aspirational so soon. You might as well get a, get a good exit under your belt and get going again. You know what? Either way, at the end of the day, Emerge is here. You're dealing with 2 million consumers, 12,000 merchants. You've gone public. I can't wait to see the e-com ticker symbol on the TSXV. And, uh, you know, congratulations, because uh, it hasn't been an overnight success. It's been a bit of a haul. And regardless of that exit or not, you've done some amazing things. So thank you for sharing that knowledge with everybody. Thank you. Our best days are ahead of us. I really believe it. Thanks so much, Corby. We love what you're doing and uh, we'll keep supporting any way we can. Vice versa. Thanks a lot, Kassan. Thank you. You've been listening to Fine Tune. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me on Twitter at CFine, through LinkedIn at CorbyFine, or visit my website, CorbyFine.com. Fine Tune is produced by me, Corby Fine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.